You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Grand Canyon University's RN to BSN online degree program makes earning your bachelor's in nursing possible. Balance online coursework with local in-person clinicals to position yourself for potential leadership opportunities in the time you have from wherever you are. Leaving room for what matters. Achieve your goals with your personalized plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. Half hour. Hello, dearie, and welcome to Half Hour, an entertainment podcast through Two Worlds Entertainment. It's Mrs. Doubtfire here. No, it's not. (laughs) It's Richie. Help me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if you're clicking on this, you know that you're about to listen to the Mrs. Doubtfire podcast. (laughs) And welcome to Half Hour um, with Richie. (laughs) I'm Richie and... I'm Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> I surprised him with that. Mom, Welcome. pick me up. I'm scared. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Half Hour, a podcast through Two Worlds Entertainment. Today, we're you know we're talking about all the shows, concerts, events, and things that we see and observe throughout our careers. Uh, this will feature spoilers, as you have already heard me doing this is Devfire impressions. So, if you have not seen what we're discussing today, please make sure that you are seeing the piece that we're talking about before listening on. Unless you don't care about spoilers. Unless then continue spoilers. to listen. <laughs> Today we're talking about Mrs. Doubtfire, the Broadway musical playing at the Stephen Sondheim Theater. This, uh, it is currently May 2022. We just saw it in this month of May, and it is closing at the end of the month. So if you're listening to this now and you really want to go see it, and you did not know this yet, this it only has about two weeks left, maybe about a week and a half left or so of the run. So go check that out if you can. Uh, Mrs. Doubtfire features music and lyrics by Wayne Kirkpatrick and Carrie Kirkpatrick, book by Carrie Kirkpatrick and John O'Farrell. It is choreographed by Lauren Lotaro and directed by Jerry Zachs. Mm-hmm. Most of us know the very famous film that this musical is from, based upon, Mrs. Doubtfire, which starred Robin Williams and Sally Field in the early 90s. Um, 1993. Seeing, 1993. Seeing this... Is highly anticipated. You know, it was it it just started before COVID. It was just starting. A couple shows maybe mm-hmm. closed, opened in the fall, closed again for the winter. Yeah, just re- and then was supposed to open in March. Didn't open till April, and is now closing in May. Quite a roller coaster of a show. When you look at other shows and their trajectory of of you know their longevity, this one you never. It, it, I think. It, probably always wanted an open-ended run. It's a major commercial show. And to see it closing right now, I was shocked when I read that it was closing. And and when I read it was closing, we had yet seen it. We had not seen it yet, I should say. But we had tickets. We had tickets. So we were looking forward to it. We just went a couple days ago. So what are your thoughts on this piece overall? 
as a musical? Is this working? Is it not? What, what well, did for, you enjoy? Actually, I might want to skip that right at this time. Okay, okay. okay because I want to piggyback off <clears throat> what you just said. Because my first question that I wrote <clears throat> down for you was like, what do you think could have been of this show if COVID never happened? Versus what it is now with that whole opening and closing trajectory that this show has been on. Do you think that this show could have had a different run? And then we'll get into like the details Mm -hmm. about the show and all that. If the pandemic never hit it. I think the pandemic really affected this. In In some ways, yes. In some ways, no. I know the producers released a statement saying it's difficult to keep a show like this going when families and a lot of tourists and people are not coming to the city. However... There are shows like Moulin Rouge and Aladdin and Wicked and and big shows that are pulling in millions of Hamilton, Music Man, all mostly family friendly that mm. are pulling in millions of dollars a week. Right. So if they weren't, I would understand that, yeah, you know, wow, families aren't coming back or or tourists aren't coming. I mean, I I was elbowing through Times Square the other day. I mean, it's not like we're still, I think things are quite back. Right. I mean, and so it's very difficult for me. It's hard, it's hard to make dinner reservations in some restaurants now. It's bad. I think it's really busy and back. So mm-hmm. to, for me to 100% blame it on the pandemic, I can't say that. Yeah. It got one Tony nomination. It got mixed reviews. There's a lot of factors There's here. There's a lot of factors. I'm going to um, ask, I'm going to re-ask this question after the end of the podcast. Okay. Yeah. Good, good, idea. good idea. So I just wanted to, that's like the initial question there. And then like, yeah, to, to, to kind of sum up the show for me, it's like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to come up with like a badge system. Okay. I think. And I think that this badge that the show gets from me is that it's the checklist musical. Mm. And as much as it was enjoyable and fun entertainment, I think as an avid theater goer, it gets the checklist badge for me because it was like, how many boxes can we check to get something into this musical that are like cookie cutter things? Mm. Meaning like, does it have a tap dance number? Check. Does it have random ensemble numbers? Check. Does it have a lot of choreo? Check. Does a it ballad. About. Does it have an eleven o'clock number? <laughs> Check. You know, does the mom get the sob song? Mm-hmm. You know? Check. Mm-hmm. It's like, I just feel like that's what this was going for. And I'm like, I don't know. You and I saw something rotten. And we really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. We, we have some friends that really don't enjoy it. <laughs> Shout out to y'all. But <laughs> no, I, 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 yeah. but, I enjoyed that uh, score. It's the same writer. The score. So and it's I the same writer. I enjoyed that score a lot better. I love the Something Rotten score. And for me, I wasn't sure the score was 100% working for this one. As right. Much. We really loved that score. But then at times I was thinking, I'm like, do you think that they were trying way too hard to put a lot of Something Rotten into this musical? Maybe. But I also think we have to remember something here. When you look at movies to stage, yeah. right, and you look at something like, okay, Hairspray. Mm-hmm. Here's a movie that comes out, but it's about a TV show. It's about people dink- dancing and singing on a TV show. It's set in the 60s, which was a very momentous time for music. Okay, that seemed to work. When you take Moulin Rouge, which is about dancing, it's about singing. Okay, that translates well. In Mrs. Doubtfire, there's in the movie, the original source material, and actually I believe it's even based on a book too. It's hard to find the singing, the dancing in the film, 
Which, my theory is, makes it even harder to put on a stage. When you have films that have some basis of, oh, there are some... Sing Look at the dinner scene in Mrs. Doubtfire. Well, we'll have flamenco dancers and singers in a Mexican restaurant dancing. That will add a musical element to this. That was nowhere to be found in the film. Okay, yes, we should be creative, of course, and we should think of new ways to musicalize. Mm -hmm. Don't get me wrong. But I just, I just thought there were moments where I was like, this is... There's a lot of forced musical moments here. Right. It seemed forced at times. It, the it, ensemble numbers seemed very forced at times. Let's just try to throw the ensemble into as many costumes and do as many things as possible. It's the checklist musical. Yeah, in a way. You're going to like it. I, you're going like well, I mean, to like my badge system. Let me ask you a question because another thing I would like to ask you is why rock? So much of the score, dun, 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 it's this drum, which, listen, some of the songs I was like, yeah. Why was there not more like when you listen to like the prom, there's like musical theater and dance, you know, it's more music. There's some rock, it's like pop rock. Why with this show did you think the writers went with rock and really didn't stray too far away from that, but like hard, almost like hard belting rock, like this mm. aggressive kind of rock? And then because, you want to know why I think it's because I think these writers right now, when they're given these. The, the, the book material of some of these powerhouse movies that were very successful in its time, they don't know what music to actually do because it probably shouldn't be a musical. Mm. I hate to say that, mm. but it really probably shouldn't have been a musical mm. because what you just brought up things like Hairspray before. Uh, that is a completely different style there because Hairspray was a camp cult classic, but it wasn't a mainstream mm -hmm. movie. Mm -hmm. It wasn't, it didn't have the run of a movie like Mrs. Doubtfire did. So it was easier for them to take Hairspray and give it a different look. It's easier for the writers of Thoroughly Modern Millie to take that film and give it a different look, mm -hmm. you know? When you have something like Mrs. Doubtfire or you have something like Mean Girls, it's like these are powerhouse movies that it's going to be hard to write the music for it. Mm -hmm. But, but sometimes things do come along, like Legally Blonde, and it works. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know. You it's know, inconsistent it is because inconsistent. it's tough. And it, I do think at the end of the day it comes down to the specific film. Don't forget from Moulin Rouge, that's all jukebox music. So it wasn't an original yeah, but musical, for the most part. You know, but Moulin something. Rouge is very different because it's already a musical to begin with. Right. Right? That would be like if they took Greatest Showman and they put right. it on the stage. Right. Right. It's right. already installed with music. It's, right. a, it's a musical right. movie first. Right. So it's different. Right. I'm talking about these films that... That it's like, okay, let's turn this into a musical without making it cheesy. And unfortunately, I think this one went cheesy. Yeah. And, and let me talk. I would like to highlight some of the things that I did yeah. enjoy about it, though. I will say something. This has one Tony nomination, which is for Rob McClure playing the leading part. Brilliant. Yeah. Like, I'm blown. I've seen this man do a lot of things. I, I think one of the first things I saw him do was Charlie Chaplin. I was blown away. I think he was Tony nominated for that. I've seen him do like a lot noises off, Beetlejuice. He's been in a lot of things. Uh, he is truly remarkable at what he does. Mm -hmm. And in this show, he's carrying the whole show. Mm -hmm. I don't care what you say. That's what's my thought on it. He is in this whole show. And when you have, to me, it doesn't seem like other elements of the show are matching that. Yeah, He's way up there on cloud nine doing all this stuff. Nothing overdone, just way up there. And no one's matching it. The design, the other actors, 
The dan- nothing seems to, so he's like in his own world. It's like his show, and everything else is supporting it. Which I understand that with Robin Williams, but I will tell you something. I enjoyed the children in the movie. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed Harvey Firestein in the movie. I enjoyed Sally Field immensely in the film. Well, there was other elements of the film that I enjoyed so much that it was like. Robin Williams, yeah, and look at everything else. This was just like Rob McClure, oh, and then everything else to me seemed like two or three steps behind. But I feel like that's... I agree with you. Yeah. I think he did a, a fabulous job in the role. I think he tried to make it a, his own role as well. Yeah, I which like Which I that. think that's what was nice yeah. because I found that some of the other characters in the show really were just either trying to be mirror images of what the characters were in the movie... Uh, and some of them also tried to stray away from that and like just make the character their own. But this is something that's an interesting kind of question for both of us. I think it's when an actor is given a role like this, how much of it can they actually make it their own or how passionate do they become in the role when it's kind of like they already know they're going to be compared to the movie. Well, I almost think that that kind of gives them more fuel to fire to say, I can make it my own now because everyone's going to compare me anyway. So why don't I add some of my own? Right. You're doing I, it eight times. Don't forget, you're doing it eight times a week live. Maybe I'll... It's a little different with a film. You're yeah, doing a film is a little different of a process. Maybe I'll rephrase this. We watched the Spring Awakening documentary last night. And these characters were so invested in these roles that they were given They were characters that were given to them at ages like 14, 15, 16, 17. And they were with that show from the beginning to when it got to that Broadway stage. They owned those roles. Mm -hmm. But there was also something in that cast that I think what was missing from Mrs. Doubtfire was it was a unified cast. Mm -hmm. They all fed off of each other. Each role was so important in that role because everyone knew, like, if I'm doing this, it's going to help this person do this and it's going to help this person to this. Yes, uh, not yesterday, but when we saw this show, it seemed like I'm going to come on stage and I'm going to do my lines and I'm going to get off the stage and I'm going to sing my song and I'm going to get off the stage and I'm going to do the choreo and I'm going to get off the stage. But, like, where are they feeding off of each other? Right, right. Uh, specifically in a in a um, number like the cooking scene. right. Not to call things out or whatever, but, like, there's stuff flying all over the stage. It doesn't seem like they're connected as a, a group of people. And it's just – it seemed like that was lacking. Yeah, yeah. You a know? lot of that comes down to the director vision. A lot of right. that comes down to the way it's written and the flow of it. They're, they definitely tried to keep some iconic movie elements but also change some. Right. But what I'm saying, I think, for some of the Broadway actors out there is, like, are these films uh, – uh, these movie – to musical, you know, musicals, um, not really passion. There's no passion to kind of be in a show like this. I think their goal is to tell the story that people know, yeah. push it in your face, give you the loud and proud, which they do. The subtle moments to me didn't work as well as the loud and proud moments. Yeah. I didn't feel... I think in that movie, I every time I watch the ending of the movie, I tear up because I think that is so powerful when uh, Sally Fields at the TV studio and there's Robin Williams reading the letter from Katie, the girl who wrote the letter, yeah. and then you see that she gives him some of the parental rights to come. It's heartbreaking stuff. 
I didn't really feel the heartbreak moment in this. I found the f- comedy worked really well mm-hmm. a lot of times, and they modernized it with technology and iPads and phones and stuff. Um, but I, I just still thought it was the Rob McClure show the whole time. I thought Jen Gambatis uh, was fine, but it's it was like, were you trying to be Sally Field the whole time? Right. Because you don't have to be. You can Sally Field is Sally Field, it's a, and she is brilliant as the mom in the mm-hmm. film. But we're thirty years later now, almost. What could you be doing to ch- make it your own a little bit instead of? It almost like she tried to look like her. She tried to act like. Her. I just felt like it was that was. Well, I didn't feel like Rob McClure was trying to be Robin Williams the whole time. Yeah, but I also felt that if she was trying to be Sally Field, she really didn't hit the mark. If you yeah. were trying to be Sally Field, you no. should have hit the mark. Yeah, because she's, just you should have just mimicked we, the whole thing. We went back when we got home and we watched a couple of clips of the film, and we were like, "Let's just go. Let's see. Remember, we haven't seen it in a while." Yeah. And we watched some of those, especially that scene at the end um, when he's choking. He's choking, and the mom is freaking Daniel. Dan. Daniel. Dan. Yeah. It's so it's such a moment, right? Well, this is another thing I find in some of these musicals. It's like it's more about like not the cheese factor, but like. Like the overly done dance numbers and the music, and then what's lacking is the acting. Mm. Why in musicals does it seem that we can forget about acting? Yeah, well, sometimes the book she- book scenes are short, or they're they're quick to get into the next thing. And musical, commer- big mega commercial musical theater sometimes really does focus mostly on. Costume changes, dance numbers, scenery changes, you know, not all, but not all. Yeah. But what I'm saying is like that's your time to shine yeah, as an and actor. to grow the character, yeah. Yeah, like give the character some character development. Yeah. Take us into that character. And sometimes that really, really, really falls flat. I find it interesting that um I, I doing research on this that at one point Alan Menken was supposed to be considered to write the music to this. Mm-hmm. Um, as a lot of you know, he wrote the music to Sister Act, Little Shop of Horrors, uh, Beauty and the Beast, there's a lot of um, Little Mermaid. I would have l- loved to know what an Alan Menken version of this would have been. Mm. I think there would have been more musical theater-esque moments than like belting number, change the scenery number. Right? I think he does a really great job of. I I always thought an Alan Menken ballad yeah. somewhere that's green. Um, Home from Beauty and the Beast. Uh, if I can't love her, his ballads to me, Proud of Your Boy Aladdin are gorgeous. Part of your world. I mean, some of these most beautiful ballads we know. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder what his ballads would have been like in this. Yeah. Um, you know, and they, but and I don't know why he left the project or they got, I don't know what happened there. What's interesting um, is you're but, making me think about the actual music from this show now. And I, I'm trying to remember songs from it. I'm trying to remember yeah, some of the musical just, numbers and it's like, it's, it's hard. not hitting me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I will say something else. And I think these people should be mentioned. The costume design by Catherine Zuber was great. I think the Mrs. Doubtfire look was wonderful. I also have to say the hair design by David Brian Brown and the makeup and prosthetic design by Tommy Kersman. Wow! You had to design something that works on a live stage eight times a week, multiple times in the show. He was throwing the wig and the prosthetics on and off like it was a glove being put on. It was so easy. And then when he would be in it fully, I was like, Wow, and then you watched him do the change in the bodysuit, and I'm like, it's that's tough. I was really most concerned about how you're gonna do that. Obviously, in the film, it's a little different because they can cut and edit. And here, were some of his changes offstage, sure, but I was just really blown away by how fast 
and how really well done the changes were. I remember when he first came out of Ms. Doubtfire, I was like, wow, yeah. this is really, really well designed. Yeah. I wish there was um, more praise for that, but I had to shout those people out because I thought that other than Rob McClure's brilliant performance, that this design of him looking like her, in and out, in and out, in and out of that look, live, in front of a thousand people, yeah. eight times, we can't forget that, live, in front of a thousand people, eight times a week, that's very impressive to me. I think, that was very impressive to me. Yeah, it did work really well. And I think it was a great choice to actually have the audience see it mm-hmm. happening. Because in the film you do. Well, right, but it's a film. Right. So, so it was know, a, yeah, we want to see. It's very different than actually seeing him take it on and off directly in front of us. Mm-hmm. You know, instead of going off stage, you know, taking something on and off and then going back on stage. I also think it would have been interesting to see someone like I, Brad Oscar and Jay Harrison Gee play um, his brother, who is the couple that helped design his makeup and costume. I wish they had like a, a song that stole the whole show. I thought that Mrs. Doubtfire creating the look with all the Eleanor Roosevelt and all those women, that was okay. But I think they were funny. I thought they could have had a moment. I remember Harvey Firestein in the movie like stealing that whole scene, right? When he dresses her like Barbara Streisand and dresses her like but all the that people. Was, you know? Okay, so that was even an interesting number for me because that's where you could have right went really there yeah. with those two characters. And it should have been their moments to shine. And then it was completely overlooked by all of these elements that were being brought onto the stage of like these celeb impersonators of the famous women and this. And I get it. It was to kind of cover up the whole making of Rob McClure as Mrs. Doubtfire. But it just, it seemed odd from a director uh, point of view on why that was happening. There was just like so much going on during that number. Yeah, But even every number, I felt like it was very, when the 20 of them were as all dressed as Mrs. Doubtfire, I was like, why? Yeah. I was like, what? I, so much going on here. There, there's just, there was just so much going on throughout a lot of it. I was like... Ooh, I, yeah. have, a, I have a good question. Yes. So this show, we, we've now heard the producers say, like, families aren't coming back to Broadway, mm-hmm. and we wish that we had families there, and blah, blah, blah. But did, did you at times feel like this show was not completely family-friendly? There were times where there was some adult humor that could have went over the kids' heads maybe a little bit. Yeah, I mean, we have the party scene in the beginning and, like, this, like, s- weird choice of this stripper yeah. soccer player coming into Which the Which was, boys. like, bizarre because I remember in the movie the mom walks in, like, there's a donkey or a yeah, horse like a eating a cake or something and she cake. can't believe there's an animal in her house. That was the tipping point. For this, the tipping point is, like, this model in a bikini. At the- Obviously, they he called... They'd sent the wrong thing from the party company or whatever, you know, and that's how that was. Yeah. But it was still bizarre. I thought that was odd to me. Uh, that was the choice they made. Like from me. a book point of view, that's probably something that I would – if you weren't going to get a ton of kids to be in this party scene um, after school, I would have kind of maybe tried to write something different. Yeah, like – right, right. Uh, like what for the book because right. it just – it's like he invited all of his own friends over. Yeah, and was, I know. It's really a kid's birthday that's supposed to be. And it just seemed odd, some of the things that they were saying. And you know, I don't know. I, yeah, maybe. It, sometimes with these shows, they verge on being too adult-friendly when you're trying to go for being a kid's show as right. well. Or family-friendly show. And I found that there were some unfamily-friendly things in the show. Yeah, it's interesting. You know? Yeah. I also found, and, and it's, we were also dealing with, um, 
the adult side of this too is also this divorce yeah. and being a parent and how difficult that was. And that was the somber moments too. Um, another performance I do have to shout out to is um, Charity Angel Dawson as Miss um, Hillard, the um, representative from the uh, one. Uh, no, no, not Miss Hillard. Sorry, Wanda Selner. Yeah, the um, the representative from the agency. She could sing. I was like, I don't think I've ever seen her live. I was like, wow. Yeah, but they gave her such a weird number. It was an interesting <laughs> song, but you know what? She killed it. She on the can vocals. sing, I but like, I was yes. like, where are they going with yeah. this number? It's yeah. like, uh. yeah, and the daughter. The oldest oh, daughter. Oh, yes. Yes, I believe it was uh, Annalise Scarpacci. Yes. And really, I, really talented. Uh, we'll definitely see more from her because yeah. she maybe she she'll go s- right into Beetlejuice or something. Yeah, uh, right, 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 right. <laughs> it was definitely and, – and let me tell you, I laughed throughout it. I enjoyed it. There was definitely moments where I was, like, enjoying it because I know how it ends. I know what happens in the – I know the plot. I, I didn't sit there bored. I didn't sit no. there craving to leave. It wasn't bad. It was just – these were moments that I think – and so when I see the open and close, open and close, the low numbers, there was uh, it was a weekend performance we saw. There was a lot of empty seats kind of around us, unfortunately. And the show is closing soon. It got one Tony nomination. They probably it didn't get a best musical Tony nomination. Didn't get a best score to- Tony nomination. Didn't get a best choreography. Did, no yeah. designers got nominated. So it's tough. I think I had heard that when they did the Out of Town on this a couple years ago at Seattle, it was wildly successful. Oh. Um, which is great. But that's what I'm talking about. It's like we'll go back to that question. Okay, because we're getting ready to now wrap we've up. talked okay, about yeah, that. So, we've talked about that whole yeah. sh- the whole show now. It's like the question was, what kind of run would this have show have had pre COVID versus the run it's having now? Yeah, it would have. It could have been more successful in a way because maybe, you know, don't forget, we're also dealing with a jam-packed season right now. New shows, but also pre-COVID shows. There's a lot opening right now. There's a lot going on. You can't have 10 Tony nominations for Rusty Musical. You just can't. can't Uh, Personally, I think that the show would have had a very successful run. Hmm. I think it would have been very similar to like a Mean Girls run. And people were excited for this show. It had the competition during COVID, uh, pre-COVID, very similar to what the competition is now. But I do think it would have been well-received. People would have went. And the people that are going to see shows like that were going. Broadway was literally at its high during that time. And then COVID hit. And I think it kind of... It is living on in the national tour. It is living on in the London production, I believe. So they're going to just close the New York yeah, production. But I'm I sure think the licensing just... rights will eventually be available for high schools, community theaters, regional theaters to do. And what a fun show to do in smaller communities. I think could totally work right. well. Uh, it's hard. It's hard. It's it's tough. It's a really iconic film. Yeah. I think that. But that's what would have sold it, the show. Yeah. Yeah. For a little bit, at least. It yeah. may have not received the nominations or anything that, yeah. you know, yeah. still, but that, that it didn't really matter. Mean Girls, you know, received how many nominations? Tons and won zero. zero. Yeah. And it was still running very successfully up until COVID. Right. right. So, yeah. I mean, my last question. Yes. And then I know we're probably going to have to wrap up soon. But my last question is, I always like to ask this, but what is the future of movie musical adaptations? It is. Mm, they're they're going to keep happening. Yeah, they're going to keep happening. I think a producer or producers will have to just think a little bit more. Mm, is this the right move, movie? 
Yeah. Did the music come out good enough for it? Should we invest in this? What size theater should it be in? There's so many moving parts when it comes to money and investing in these shows. So, yes, we will see more. I don't know if they're going to be more sparse because a producer might think twice now before saying, I don't know. I think it should, you know? the, maybe it, I should be saying it like in the style like this. I mean, we already know some are coming. Almost Famous is coming. Devil Wears Prada is eventually coming. Yeah. Empire Records is being worked on. Yeah. You know, the life, list goes. Life of Pi. Life right? of Pi. Uh, li- it goes on and on with some of these yeah. uh, movies. But. If they do it in the style like this, is it going to work? I don't know, because I think you have to take artistic liberties and you really have to make it a theater piece and you have to immerse your audience in the story. Yeah. If you're going to do the, what you said earlier, the badge of like, or the cookie cutter sense of like, did we throw a top number in there? Great. The checklist Did badge. we throw the, yeah, did we do this? <laughs> did we do that? You know, yeah. that's, and, and that's a model. It's a formula for musical theater. But the formulas need to be disrupted. The yeah. formula needs to be disruptive for this, and the formula needs to be disruptive for biopic musicals. Yeah, and that's yeah. it. Yeah, and you know? we'll see where that goes now. We'll and see. those people, I'm the, the the creative teams on some of these show. I'm very curious to see how well received they still are in the industry after, or their just part how of they like continue. Right, what work they continue to work on? Do these teams stay together? Mm-hmm. What who's getting put on to to lead them? Yeah, right. yeah. Oh, it's time to go pop it. <laughs> so I'm not going to do that. Pop it. <laughs> I'm doing my Mrs. impressions. Oh, hello. Thoughts. Hello. Oh, hello. Oh, yeah. And I love those iconic lines when you would say, help is on the way, dear. And, you know, those movie moments are great. But yes. overall thoughts, conclusion thoughts. Overall thoughts. I mean, really, if you're a fan of the movie, I do think you should probably try to see this before you go. I don't think it's a waste of time. I just I think there are better things on the stage right now out there that you should probably see over it. And I hate to say that this is closing. Um, but yeah, it was fun. You know, I think that's really all I have to say about it. I think uh, it, I'm, I think it could have went a little longer. I think to close it two weeks and then the week right before Tony Awards, it's a little much. I, I don't know the money, money financials behind it. Couldn't have gone to Labor Day and tried to get a summer tourist crowd in there. I think it could have, but I don't know what's going on with our financials. Um, I enjoyed it. I laughed. I had a good, fun time. Um, wasn't the best thing I ever saw. There's some things they could have maybe changed or fixed. Um, but I, I do like the story. I like the message. Um, and I just think Rob McClure is an absolute star. And if he doesn't win a Tony for this, we will definitely see him winning Tony awards in the future. The man commits to what he's doing in a brilliant, brilliant way. And I'm, I'm just blown away by him. And I think he deserves all the accolades and award nominations for this because he's carrying, I really believe he's carrying this whole show mm. by himself. Not, 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 not disrespect to the ensemble and the other people with him. I just think that he's really carrying it. He's really carrying it mm-hmm. and good for you, man. Good so. for you, Mrs. Doubtfire. <laughs> Mrs. Doubtfire. So. <laughs> well, there we go. Thank you all so much for listening today. We hope you enjoyed. Uh, make sure you head over to TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Follow at Half Hour Podcast through Two Worlds Entertainment. Um, comment, like, let us know what you think of our episodes. Um, subscribe on Apple Music and Spotify, where we're releasing our podcast. A few more shows coming up this Tony season. We're close to Tony Awards, so we got a few more episodes coming your way of some big shows, so be ready for those. Um, but that's all for now. We're getting ready to sign off, so saying ta-ta for now. I'm Richie. And I'm Jeff. Saying bye.
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise. <laughs> 